Okay, folks, um, you have found HSV Progressive. I am so glad you are here. Um, I have a little program today to uh, share with you. Um, um, I have Amy Fahimi back on. Uh, some of you might remember from last year when she was on talking about the um, uh, situation with COVID relief money and housing and the county and all that kind of good stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about that and also about um, prison uh, reform because she went to the Appleseed presentation that uh, that was at the library a couple of weeks ago. Anyway, um, Amy, please, uh, please uh, it, come on in and introduce yourself. Thank you for being here. Um, what what have you been up to? And, you know, let us know what's on your mind. Good afternoon, Joy. Thanks. Yes, uh, what's actually been on my mind uh, recently is these, the, actually both these topics, uh, prison reform and also um, what's happening with uh, uh, rental assistance in Madison County. And I've been living in Huntsville since 1987. And so I I think I've seen a lot here. And the, the main, th I've just been more of an activist lately because I see I'm 48 years old, I think if I'm not going to jump in now, when uh, when am I? And what I really want to encourage listeners is to be whatever subject you're passionate about or whatever problems you see, it's a it's a really good idea to just jump in however you can, whether it's learning about the subject, writing, legislators, speaking up at a meeting. Just go ahead and jump in, uh, state or local government. Um, and I think this podcast is, is really helping for people to, to start doing that. But anyway, I'm going to jump into the subject of the prison. And uh, I, I saw Dana Sweeney, who's a state organizer for Alabama Appleseed Talk, a couple of weeks ago at the library. And he really had a lot of very scary statistics about prisons. Mm -hmm. And then I've, I've been following this subject for at least a couple of years with um, Alabama political reporter, because uh -huh. they, they seem to have uh, articles almost daily about the number of deaths in the yeah. in Alabama prisons. I'll just give you a couple updated statistics just in the last few days. Okay. Okay. 12 incarcerated men died in Alabama prisons in March. That's just this past month, 12 uh -huh. in March. That's not for the year for the just for one month and another statistics 35 have died in state custody in 2023 so far oh. and state custody that includes prisons and jails and everything right yes uh -huh. oh. um and then there's there was also a headline from the new york post just a few days ago too um anthony tony mitchell froze to death um, after guards put him in a walk-in freezer. Uh-huh. And that was in a Walker County jail. In I, I, I remember hearing about that. That yeah. I just can't even imagine. Right. So we hear about these stories. I know in the, the summertime there was this there was um a man that actually overheated and died because they don't have air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I know John Oliver last year, he did a big story on his show about Alabama prisons not having air conditioning, not being regulated. I mean, imagine, I mean, it would just be like being in a, left in a hot car to die. Yeah. But, but anyway, uh, these are some of the statistics that I, that I wrote down from Dana's uh, talk. Uh-huh. So he, he says um, Alabama is the sixth poorest state with one in 10 living below the poverty line. In seven Alabama count, counties, the poverty rate is, high, is higher than 25%, with also disparity 11.6 uh, white and 29.9 black, which is a big disparity in Alabama. Uh, of the poverty, of people of, of poverty. the poverty, right. Uh-huh, okay. Uh -huh. And uh, Alabama has the highest inc incarceration rate in the U.S., and also in the world. I, I just, uh, uh, what is going on in this state? <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, highest prison homicide rate in the nation. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just, I I mean, you know, it's, it's really been going on since, since after the civil war. I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a bad history. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. You know, you had like St. Clair prison was actually built for the express purpose of being where the mine was because they had the convict leasing system where they Uh would um, take up formerly enslaved people, put them working into the mines, you know? Yeah. Because um, the, the, is it the 13th amendment that says that uh, uh, while slavery has been abolished, that doesn't hold for, for incarcerated people. Right. Right. So slavery just took a different form. It went from private to public. Mm-hmm. But to give you some more um, statistics about the prisons now, overcrowding is at 165% occupancy rate. Some prisons in Alabama have a 300% um, rate, and some smaller ones have 1,000% over occupancy. Well, and that, so, that, that, that's got to be part of what's feeding into this highest prison homicide rate in the nation. Right, right. Because I mean, they're run by gangs. And Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine the hopelessness that you'd feel if you were just being warehoused, you wouldn't have really room to move. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't think our legislators actually ever go into the prisons to see (laughs) what's happening. They're not going to do that because they want. I don't think it would be safe for them. (laughs) No, it wouldn't be safe. No. We should we should make a law that they all have to go in there and if they could survive for 24 hours, come out and, and see if they want to make any changes. Changes. Yeah. Yeah. As good Christians. Cruel, cruel and unusual punishment. It sounds right. like to me, which is uh, contrary to the Constitution. And we have an awful lot of lawmakers that are all about the Constitution, don't we? Right, exactly, because this is one point that Dana made. Every day a prisoner is incarcerated in Alabama, their Eighth Amendment right, cruel and unusual punishment, and their 14th Amendment right, equal protection under the law. Those those amendments are being violated every day. So, you know, why do we, do you have any idea why, why we have so many people in prison? Um, is it that Alabama is particularly uh, more has more crime or or has more success catching criminals? Or is there something up with our, the way we sentence people? Or is there something up with paroles? Does can anybody <laughs> explain to me? Yeah. What the and, heck? Yeah. And I know uh, one, one point he makes, too, is that the prison population is really, it's it's really a lot of older people because uh-huh. they had much draco- much more draconian sentences, uh-huh. you know, where people would be given life sentences for drug offenses or nonviolent things where people didn't mm-hmm. actually get harmed. And so they did some sentencing reform for the younger people, but they didn't do it for the older people. Yeah, they need to make those uh, that reform retroactive. Not to mention that is aren't like um, like people over fifty that get released from prison. Isn't their recidivism rate like microscopic or exactly. something like that? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't. Um, the only thing I can say, though, is when you release somebody from prison, you kind of need to give them a landing pad. And I don't think the state does that and they, either. They don't. They don't at all. I was kind of surprised. But what they're actually given is ten dollars, the clothes that they had on their back going in and a bus ticket to whatever county they were sentenced in. And so. Any notion that there's some big reentry program, it doesn't exist. You know, there might oh, be some that. nonprofit things that go on, but there's it's listen to this. Zero percent of ADOC budget goes to helping them after leaving prison. So most of them go into homelessness. Of course, obviously. And then another thing that was crazy to me is 
they have this system, and I know Alabama Appleseed was working on that, but they have a system where the day that you leave prison, you actually are responsible for having to pay back your uh, court fees and any fees that you had um, associated with your crime, they have to be paid back immediately. And so I know that um, Alabama Appleseed was working on that issue. It says uh, grace period granted of 180 days after leaving prison before legal fees are due so people can focus on finding housing and jobs. Well, you know what okay, I, so think, they just, I think? They just, I, that was something that they were success that Alabama's Appleseed was actually successful on. I think that if somebody has been put in a prison and had to live there for, you know, God only knows how long and have had to do their prison jobs um, and get paid nothing or virtually nothing to do them, that they shouldn't have any fines when they get out. You'd think so. You'd think you'd give people at least a fighting chance so they wouldn't. That's right. Yeah. So they would, they could even cope with uh, the housing issue or they'd be a lot less likely to reoffend if they yeah. were given a, a fighting chance. Yeah. In fact, there are probably a lot of people who, if we gave them a fighting chance, wouldn't offend in the first place, you know? Right. So exactly. uh, th- I guess that's part of my uh, an answer, th- at least to me, of why do we have su- such an overpopulation? Why do we have this huge, like you said, it's like the highest incarceration rate in the world? All right. And, and also, too, we got to connect these things to other issues in society, like uh, we all want an assault weapons ban. Well, you know what? The legislator in Alabama, they spent... 2022 thinking about how how they can make guns easier and more accessible and less accessible so you know what if we we made guns less accessible to people with issues wouldn't that be something you know you know you're uh, you're just um um reminding me of uh um a, a friend of mine from college who wound up going on to be in the state legislature. He's not in there anymore. And I guess I won't say his name. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) But uh, uh, just on the podcast that I just released about local government stuff, I talked again about how a lot of this stuff is performative. And I just want to say, you know, if you talk to your legislator and you say something about uh, we should have we should have more control over guns, or I'm for more gun control, or you know stuff like that. Understand that they'll say anything to you, you know, to to make it sound like you're on the same page somehow, somewhere, some way. Um, and this guy that I knew, his favorite thing to say was, "Well, you'd be surprised. I'm sure we agree on more things than you think." You know, he would yeah. say that to me all the time, and I'd be going like, mm, <laughs> "Well, specify so. the things, right?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Th- that was like his go-to thing to try and disarm you if you came to ask him or tell him something. You know, well, you'd be surprised. I think we probably agree on more things than you think. So I just want to say to the listeners, don't don't just walk away like, "Okay, they said that." So you know, I know they're going to do something. Da 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 da. You can't. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want me to say? They're snakes. I don't know. You know, you, right. You got, it, seems, it seems like in these meetings, when they're, when they're talking like with the commission meetings, it, it almost seems like it's taboo for them to disagree with something. You know what I mean? It always, mm-hmm. it has to be this big show of niceness and we're all on the same page. Doesn't that seem like it, it just seems like it's taboo to even Raise yeah. Oh, uh, yes. I see that. Now. I see that in Huntsville City Council, and I think in Madison County Commission meetings too. That you know the way that it is that it's unusual for anybody to vote nay on anything that comes up. You has know what I'm happened? talking about. Have they? Has oh. anyone ever voted no on anything? Because I, I didn't uh, see it in the two commission meetings. I've. I didn't oh yeah. It no, it's very rare. Very rare. <laughs> I mean, it does. Uh, 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 it does 
but it's got to be a pretty darn contentious issue, which is another thing about the performative nature of, you know, all of this stuff that we get to see, the stuff that we get to see is performative um, it, because most of it they've already agreed on before they even brought it to the meeting. You know, it's already been decided. The stuff we don't get to see, it, you know, that happens in their offices and on their phones and talking to their buddies and this, that, and the other thing and so on and so forth. We don't get to see that. There might be some contention going on there, but by the time it comes to city council, it's already been through several commissions um, same with, uh, you know, w- w- things that get introduced um, at Madison County Commission. Um, those are brought forward by the department. The uh, At least, you know, the um, the legal team has looked at it and, and decided that it's something that it's okay for them to do. Probably finance has looked at it too, to see that it's okay to, to that they have the money to fund whatever it is, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think a lot of it is just like, well, it, it got here, so I'm not going to say any. I'm not going to say anything. And but are they afraid to ask questions? Yes, because they don't. Yeah, they don't want to look like they don't know everything already. You know exactly. And 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 it's it, you're in public, and oh my God, you don't want to look that way. It, which is, you know, I'm a teacher, and I'm. Um, I know that a big uh, predictor of success in college, for instance, is a student's ability to ask for questions and to ask for help. And, uh, and, and um, well, anyway, I could really get off on a tangent there. But, I, you know, if you're an educator out there, teach your people to speak up and not be ashamed of uh, to admit that they don't know something that the real strength of character is shown by admitting that you need somebody to help you understand something right and if you don't know it chances are at least half the class doesn't know it either so yeah that's you're, right you're, you're doing it standing up and showing uh-huh. yeah. you're but, doing everybody else a favor yes yeah and and that just makes me imagine when they came up with how to use the ADOC budget. I mean, one thing that's remarkable is that ADOC gets a 21% of the general fund more than other social services combined. So when you think think about what they're doing with these new prisons, what what they're going to be doing is building two big prisons in the same two counties that they can't even... um, staff smaller prisons. So if you can't staff the smaller prisons in those counties, how are you going to build bigger prisons and, and expect people. to staff those? And so all of the all of the budget is going to go towards the actual buildings themselves, the brick building, mm-hmm. not to the reformative systems that need to go into that prison. Yeah. And another thing is those those new buildings are not going to be built. They're not even going to be ready until 2026. And so people are dying in those prisons now. There needs to mm-hmm. be some change now mm-hmm. uh, before that. And I mean, just building new. I mean, what, what they really need to do in my pit, they just need to dramatically reduce the prison population. And absolutely. And, and look at look at all of those those um, people over 50, those um, nonviolent offenders. Yep. Look, look at that demographic and just say, how can, how can we help these people outside to mm-hmm. get out? I mean, they've, they've served their time. And, so and, the- and, and, and sentencing reform on the front end, not even oh, send people there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and parole, the way parole is run, it's so expensive for people to be on parole. And there's another way that you, you're you gonna fail because they set you up to fail because you can't afford to not go to prison and pay your parole fees, you know? Um, I, I, it, and, and so we, we, you know, somehow we've all decided that this tough on crime attitude is, is what makes the whole system, you know, work right and makes everybody safe. When in fact, it's not doing that at all, you know? Well, I think they use that 
tough on crime stance just to give themselves an out to not even address it. Well, and I think they use it too because of brainwashing and stuff. People have so many people have come to, you know, that's the stance you have to take in order to get votes. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like the gun. In, can I say, a racist state? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it has everything to do with bigotry that people have to act that way in order to think they could get elected. Exactly. Bigotry and fear. And one one question I asked uh, Dana Sweeney was Uh I, I mean, I really think what the Department of Justice needs to come into Alabama and take it over. And he was he was talking about the the trial for that is going to be in Huntsville next year. Oh. But what what I wonder is what I asked him was: Does the Department of Justice do they really have the political will to come into Alabama and actually just dramatically change things? And he said he didn't he didn't know. You know that's a very complicated question. But mm-hmm. I, I wonder if they even would would be would do that you know would take the time to to do that and to uh, so and you're talking about the federal department of justice exactly Mm. you know because they've been talking for over 10 years threatening call threatening to come in Uh but then they don't do it and i think people in alabama should actually be residents should be welcoming that and saying please help us uh, they need to they need to be the ones doing that because research shows that the innovations in prison reform are happening on the federal level, you know, especially white collar prisons. They're not happening at the state level. No. Yeah. So you you have a lot you you have a lot better um, at the federal level than the state level. So mm-hmm. so I mean I th- I think that's something that we should be advocating for that. Uh, that they do come and take it over. I don't guess you guys at that meeting talked about the death penalty at all, did you? We didn't uh, address that. Yeah. Um, so what, one success of Alabama, so I'll just read this. They stopped uh-huh. private prison profiteer Core Civic from building the two mega prisons. So at least those, I mean, those buildings are going to be built, but they're not going to be built by private profiteer. So that was, yes. so she, they, they have here um, on their website, we stopped prison profiteer core civic from expanding in, into Alabama alongside coalitions of Alabama activists, including communities, not prisons and Alabama students against prisons and national allies. We pressured Barclays, KeyBank, Capital Markets and Stifel to withdraw financing for a multi-billion dollar plan that would have brought two privately owned mega prisons into rural Alabama communities. All three banks dropped out. Um, then, of so, course, I, uh, uh, I think, you know, the weird thing is that at the last um, Green Drinks last month, uh, we uh, some of us had a discussion about the situation with prisons. Um, and, you know, I didn't even know... Uh, uh, um, that you and I were going to talk about this. Um, and, uh, it, it, but I think it is really important along with, we're going to talk about housing in a minute. And I think public housing is really important. And, and I think at least that if we have prisons, they should be publicly run, not private prisons. Cause the, the, then for sure, if it's a private run prison, it's run for profit. And, and um, that's not, that's no reason to have a prison, first of all. Exactly. And that, and that, and that leads to overcrowding and stuff like that, because these people want uh, get paid by the state for having prisoners. So they're not trying to get people out. And so when you say, how are we going to staff this new prison? Um, well, close, first of all, close the private prisons down. And then you can have that staff, right? <laughs> And yeah, then, I, yeah, they, well, they need they need to keep the the existing buildings instead uh-huh. of building new buildings. Keep the existing building uh, buildings and then dramatically cut the 
the prison population. Uh-huh. Absolutely. The funds that would have gone into the building, into counselors, into resources, into rehabilitation programs for when they leave. Uh-huh. And um, I would a, f- a few months ago, I was somewhere up north uh, state, like, I don't know, is New Hampshire, Connecticut. But uh-huh. they were showing they had a job skills program in the prison where they use virtual reality headsets to train prisoners to do auto mechanics and basic things like oil change. Uh-huh. So when they got out of prison, they were showing that these people were almost ready to to go to work. So, I mean, could you imagine if we had prisoners using that technology to gain job skills while they're still in prison? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like they'd even entertain that idea here. They just, we got to stop killing people. That's the first thing we got to start doing in prison. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard just some awful stories that I, I just can't, I can't bear to repeat about what's going on in our prisons. Just yeah. And here's, horrifying a, stuff. Yeah, here, here's a, um, a statistic. Well, from uh, 400 million, or 20% of Alabama's federal COVID relief funds are going to Alabama prisons to continue failed public prison system with no plan or budget for new programs and services inside the prisons. So, I mean, all of that money, can you imagine how much $400 million is? That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's an unbelievable amount of money, actually. It really is. And I mean, 0% of that is going to go towards helping them afterwards, helping uh-huh. them inside. Or keeping them from going in, in yeah. the first place. And I, then I, another thing to realize uh, is that the total number of fatality, fatalities is likely undercounted. So when we see these numbers, okay, 12 died in March, March. 35 uh, died in 2023. These are actually probably being underreported. How do you underreport deaths in prison? Yeah, I mean that's a scary that's a scary <laughs> thing. But what that's what an Alabama political reporter is saying. Hmm. That, yeah. Wow. 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 And then another, I I could just go on and on about this. I remember when Katie Britt was, uh, you know, during the the Olympics, she was going on and on about how horrible human rights abuses were in China. And I was (laughs) thinking, why don't you go on and on about your own state, about what's happening in the prisons, you know? Yep. Yep, you got a point. And anybody who's not sure, Katie Britt is our new senator, U.S. senator. (laughs) So in other words, she's out there probably beating the drums for we need to go to war with China, which is completely asinine. Oh, well, I'm sure she's talking about uh, the space command and how we're going to why don't we just take our, our war to space, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I, and the, so there's another scale where, you know, like we, this $400 million could be spent so much better, right? It yeah, just I mean, reminds all me, it, yeah, yeah it, it reminds me of all the money we spend on the military that could be going to, you know, much better things. Uh, we were promised, you know, after World War II, a peace dividend, and that has not panned out. Yeah, so I mean, we, just, yeah, that, that should be a whole nother show. I mean, yeah, yeah. the military space industrial complex. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Huntsville's role in it, too. Yep, indeed. But, yeah, but just imagine if we could, that 400 million, even if like a, even if like two percent of it or something even i mean if you go to ged classes literally liter literacy classes financial skills college courses drug and alcohol treatment programs halfway houses when they contribute Uh to the community there could Mm -hmm. be so much that's being done and then they should also look at what are other states doing that are succeeding at it what are other countries doing yeah, I, you know, at the last um, city council meeting, 
uh, they one of the nonprofits that came and gave a presentation was talking about how they were using Amsterdam's model. Oh right, I were the doing, I remember yes. talking about that. <laughs> and um and uh and and I'm like going, you know, <laughs> why aren't we doing these things? You know, across the board, there are so many places in this world that are doing better than us, better than us on you know at the municipal level, better than us at some county level stuff, better than us at state level stuff, better than us at national level stuff, better than us in prisons, better than us in in housing, better than us. And we get one little nonprofit stands up and says, we're following the Amsterdam model. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Does that give you any guys any ideas, you know? <laughs> right. And now we have the whole world of the internet to search. We can find anything nowadays. We can yep. see what they're doing in any corner of the world. And, and contact people and get help. You know, ask, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Anyway, do you want to move over to yeah. the Madison County Commission where um, it was just... Uh, the last commission meeting that you stood up and spoke during the public speaking about housing issues, right? Yes, yes. And uh, to give you some background on this, uh, I used to work, well, until November, I worked as 211 call specialist during the pandemic, especially. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I ended up writing an article for BamaPolitics.com. It's called Strong Reasons why the now defunct Madison County Emergency Rental Assistance Program was a complete debacle. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm going to just go ahead and read you the statement that I read at the meeting. Please. And I, I was so nervous when I got up there. I thought I'm just going to go up there. I'm going to read it. I'll probably just be met with stony silence and then sit down, but I'm going to get it off my chest. So anyway, this is what I said. During the pandemic, I took calls for 211 information and referral line. During this time, I had to explain to literally hundreds and hundreds of Madison County residents that lived outside of Huntsville city limits that they did not currently have access to federal emergency rental assistance because Madison County funded a separate rental program and only chose to run it for five months from June 2021 to early November 2021. By contrast, Huntsville and the state program had almost two years of coverage. How does the commission account or justify such a disparity of rental assistance within Madison County zip codes? Now Huntsville residents have new funding through Huntsville Housing Helps Program. Is the commission now doing anything for county residents to decrease the disparity in rental help? So that was my statement. And I didn't, there wasn't any discussion of it uh, amongst the commissioners, but um, Chairman McCutcheon did ask me to uh, come up and speak to him after the meeting. Uh -huh. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that. And then um, afterwards, we had a, a really good conversation about it. Oh, um, yeah. I want to hear really, about that. We really did. And also... Um, Commissioner Violet Edwards also came up to me afterwards and shook my hand and she asked me to email her mm -hmm. and I appreciated that. And then actually just today, she called me back with some, some information, was very candid on the phone about her perspective. Uh-huh. Do you have anything you want to share with us about whether either um, Chairman McCutcheon said or what yes, Violet Edwards yeah. said? Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll tell you about both. So after okay, the meeting, goody. he invited me in. I sat in the commissioner's chair for about 10 minutes and spoke with him. <laughs> <laughs> and and so he was very interested in in the topic. He he brought it. He actually brought up the article to me and said he had read it. And he really kind of wanted to understand the core of the issue. So what, what I really said, the real core of the issue is there's just unequal access. And so, for example, Huntsville is getting the, the federal funding through Huntsville uh -huh. Housing Helps. They mm -hmm. also have like they have access to community action partnership. Um, Huntsville Assistance Program, maybe Society of St. Vincent de Paul. So you see 
and, and but then county people only have ac- access to those latter programs, those smaller pots of funding. So imagine Huntsville, they can have their hand in all of it, where county people, they just aren't getting that federal access. So that is what really drove me crazy on the phone. I'd have to tell people, oh yeah, your friends in Huntsville, they have all this help, but sorry, they you're, the county only did five months and then it closed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so I was explaining that to him. And then I also shared an email that I had received and he was, he was, he actually asked me to send this email to him mm-hmm. and I did, but um, during the time that this was all going on, I had emailed Scott Irwin of um, Huntsville community development. He's, yep. he's the director there. Yep. And so, um, so actually, actually, let me read that email and then yeah. I'm going to read you Scott's response to it because that really kind of sums up the whole gist of the, the matter here. Yeah, please. Okay. So I said, hello, Mr. Irwin. This is Amy Fahimi with 211. I see that Huntsville's administration of ERAP continues very smoothly. I am aware, however, that Madison County residents outside of Huntsville are not covered by a uh, ERAP since Dale Strong and the Madison County Commission chose not to apply for the second round of funding. In an email response, Violet Edwards on the commission confirmed this lack of coverage, and she said that she hoped that the state of Alabama would bring them into the fold with uh, eraalabama.com publication. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She said that she hoped that Madison County residents would apply with the state application. However, when I emailed her response to Leah Smith, that's with Huntsville Community Development, uh-huh. Leah, Leah said that she had just, had just heard from a Madison County resident that she was not eligible for the state application since mm-hmm. Madison County's funding was done separately. Uh-huh. I know from Madison County ERAP resource page listed in 211, their funding was only available from June 21 through November 21. It seems to me that no U.S. resident should be excluded from federal funding because of their zip code. Yep. I, I know that you administer Huntsville ERAP, but I wanted to make sure that you're aware of this issue. Is there now anyone advocating for Madison County residents to be accepted into the state application? Are other traditional funding sources making up for this lack of coverage? Please advise me how I could better advocate for for Madison County callers. Huntsville Uh Assistance Program and Society of St. Vincent de Paul are still listed in 211 for rental assistance, but I I feel that these residents are being unfairly excluded from the ERAP federal funding. Uh Please advise on this matter or refer me to someone else, except for Violet Edwards, who was kind enough to return my email. I have not had any luck reaching out through Madison County government contact page on this issue. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And then I'm going to just, I know it's a lot of email, but I'm just going to read you the response. Yes, please. Okay, so this is um, Leah Smith, who works in Scott Irwin's office. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Good afternoon, Amy. <clears throat> Scott asked me to pass along a bit of information that we just learned from the state of Alabama ERA. Madison County residents who are just applying for assistance but are not under eviction still have no coverage. One reason is because of the way Madison County ERAP closed. The state has no documentation on who who, uh, Madison County Emergency Rental Assistance Program, so they have no documentation on who uh, Who, who who paid yeah, who got paid and how much. Uh-huh. Some of the applicants received letters or emails, but many did not keep up with them and many did not receive them at all. So, so, so actually I had mentioned that. So you see like the reason the state didn't take them back is they, I mean, how could they, you not keep they, up with which landlords got paid or not? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And actually, I had brought this up to Violet. Hey, you know, and that kind of stuff just makes you think corruption if records aren't properly kept. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not saying that corruption happened, but. You know. I, I actually, um, I brought this up to um, Commissioner Edwards uh-huh. today on the phone call. Uh-huh. And 
Well, first of all, she said that it was an out of state company that handled this. So, you know, they really didn't have any resources in the county to be able to do it. So it was an out of state company. And she said what happened, like why they went through the funding so quickly uh-huh. is that they, the people just, just got a lot of, the people that did apply in that five months got a lot of funding. Like they were paying past arrears plus the current, um, uh-huh. you know, how, how much rent, you know, past and uh-huh. present. So they uh-huh. were, I guess they were giving a lot per person. She, she uh-huh. said that Madison City was, Madison City people were the biggest recipients of it, uh-huh. which makes sense. But she was saying that they passed an audit. So she was saying what okay. they did do, they, they passed an audit. So I don't know how you pass an audit I don't if know. you haven't kept, uh, you know, your, I, if, yeah, there's your records, to be but, some okay. conflicting information on that. So who knows? But, but basically the gist of what she said was she, they, the count, the commission just stopped being interested. They thought, okay, we did five months. This is, I mean, the, let's, the pandemic lasted more than five months, did it not? It really did. But they just decided to, to get out of it at that point. And Violet had done, she had done more than anybody on the commission as far as getting her count, her district covered. And she said she, she took a lot of heat for, I, I guess, for her speaking out and things like that. And she said she feels like it's up to other committees. She says that her district is covered now, but she feels like it should be up to other commissioners to take the lead on it now. That was her position. And she did say, she said, well, you did start the conversation back up. Yay. So, but I, I was really impressed with Chairman McCutcheon. He did take time to he really seemed to want to understand the issue. And he, and, and, he, and he said he had read your article. Yeah, he said that he read the article. So actually, I don't know if this is true or, or not, but later on, I was thinking, how did he ever find my article? Yeah. And then, you know, I did, you know, you know, remember I did complain to the state um, about it. And then the state had written the commission, a letter about it. So I, I think uh-huh. that's probably, that, that must be, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That, that was probably it, but so they, maybe he found it by your name. Yeah, that could yeah. be possible too, but I was impressed that he read the article. Yeah. He, he did make a comment to the effect that he didn't want past mistakes to be repeated. So that was, that was really big too. So I think it's really, an, and then another suggestion that I made to him is that he speak with Scott Irwin uh-huh. and just see how the county and the city can better work together so that some zip codes aren't getting what other zip codes are not. I mean, to me, that, that like, I, I have a real strict sense of fairness and it, it would just continually would blow my mind that some, depending on your, your zip code, you would have access to federal funding or not. It's just the unfairness of it was what me what made me pursue the issue so much. Yeah. I guess that was my superpower, like not letting shit go. You know, <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't like say, you know, I mean, that was like really true. But now that I felt like I've spoken to the commission, I've spoken to him, I've spoken to Violet, I feel like I just got to let this go <laughs> and hopefully that'll... But, you know, but there's, there should be more coordination between city and, and. Well, I don't even understand in the first place why they just didn't let the state handle Madison County. Well, they should like have. The state handled almost every other county in the state, you know. Yeah. Then that, they, you they think that would have cut down on the unfairness for one thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It, it should have never been handled by the county and then that just created and then and, and, the and, and there's the county could have had a lot bigger access to well i mean you, you said mm-hmm. that that violet said they were not equipped to handle this and so they had to contract it to these out-of-state people 
Right. So why did they even take it on when they could have just let the state handle that whole thing, which the state was doing for everybody else anyway? Well, you know, everybody else. I think we can bring this back to an earlier topic. When they have these meetings, they do not really hash things out and be able to speak up and say, hey, this maybe this isn't such a good idea. Maybe uh-huh. we can work uh-huh. how, what are the logistics on this? How much time did they actually spend going through the logistics of it? Uh-huh. So yeah. that gets back to our earlier conversation is yeah, you know, was were people afraid to to speak out and say, oh well, how are we really going to do this? You know, yeah, yeah. or or it just looks good, so we're going to do it. You know, yeah, and but we're not going to do it right or do a good job at it or anything. But we can say that we handled it. You know, yikes, just poor planning. Yeah, well, hopefully that this will going forward, they'll and 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 um. Well, and I, I have, I, I think I heard, I heard from a, a little bird that, uh, that uh, maybe you're thinking about running for the um, Madison County Commission. I mean, well, right, right now, I mean, I've been traveling back and forth to Florida. My mom is very ill. Yeah. And so everything's just up in the air. I wouldn't be opposed to it in the future for sure. In the future, yeah. Yeah, I got to sit in the chair. You know, I sat in the chair <laughs> for about 10 minutes. And, you know, honestly, I said more in that 10 minutes than anybody on the commission said that whole meeting. The whole well, meeting. Except for um, Chairman McCutcheon. So. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, I don't know. But anyway, I'll just. Yeah, well, uh, that's just, just uh, that's a much. little, <laughs> that's a little, <laughs> a little bug in, in my listeners ears, uh, you know, in case it comes up, you'll know, you'll know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to stay involved. Yeah, so thank, thank you. But, but I, you, I did, I did feel very, very pleased by Chairman McCutcheon's response and the fact that he did ask me to come up there because that hopefully when people see that, that warmer reception, they're going to say, oh, well, I can come forward and speak about my issue mm-hmm. and, and not get hauled out of there, you know? So, you know, I thought that was a great move on his part because hopefully people will feel like, oh, I can stand up too. She did it or, you know. On the other hand, I hope it, it wasn't an empty gesture, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's I'm, always the risk, but it's all yep. you can do is, just keep watching up. and see what he does with the information you gave him. Just yeah. keep watching him. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of out of the loop now with not being on two on one to see what's what happened. Yeah. What's happening. Yeah. But, yeah. So no, well, I I personally thank you for uh, you know standing up and speaking and and caring. Thank you. Well, I thank you for this this podcast in this forum because this has inspired me and also your the Huntsville letter writing group that's been. Um, yeah, you know, thank you. Thank you getting for getting involved in that. And um, yeah, if anybody's interested in joining, um, I have a group on Facebook. That's where it is. Um, it's Huntsville Progressive Letter Writers. And, you know, look us up. We meet once a month and pick some you know, good topics and write to people at all levels of government and even non-governmental people I've written to about things. So um, it, it does turn out that that letters are, you know, personal letters and postcards and cards and that sort of stuff do have some cachet, some clout that that emails don't have. So I intend to continue doing that. So I, I certainly welcome the company. That and Yeah, and even if you don't have any ideas coming into it, just bring a pen and we'll help you. Oh, yeah. yeah. We got, I, I saved ideas. up ideas all month. To, to work on, uh, you know, at that meeting. Absolutely. Totally. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I think maybe that we have talked about some good stuff. And I'm sure that we will have more stuff to talk about in the future. I really appreciate your coming on and um, talking today, Amy, and spending some time with me. Well, thank you so much for having me on here. Well, uh, it's, you're very welcome. But I really, I feel the gratitude is really needs to flow from me to you. <laughs> well, I just have one final question for you. Uh-huh. Who, who is Sue? I don't know. 
I have no idea, but apparently she's got some clout, huh? Exactly. Uh, you've you've listened to the my latest episode where I where I mentioned if in case listeners don't get it, I mentioned that bef- I overheard Bill Kling saying to somebody on the way into the last city council meeting that that uh, Sue tell you know Sue looks it over and tells them which way to vote. You know, I don't know who Sue is, but okay, that could be our mission is to find out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, of all the city councilmen, uh, Bill Kling is the the most responsive. I have no reservation about classifying him that way. He's a very responsive. So it's possible that a person could ask him and he might admit what the heck he was talking about. I just... um, I, you know, it just struck me as the kind of thing that I, I wouldn't want to be going around saying <laughs> that I was doing as yeah, a city councilman. Um, you know? Instead of who is John Galt, we'll say who is Sue. Yeah. Yep. I have no idea. None. <laughs> <laughs> She's okay. got some, some clout though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go. Have okay, a wonderful, so- uh, re- wonderful rest of the week. And thank you again for stopping in. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. poem by Jane Hirschfeld called Let Them Not Say. Let them not say we did not see it, we saw. Let them not say we did not hear it, we heard. Let them not say they did not taste it, we ate, we trembled. Let them not say it was not spoken, not written, we spoke, We witnessed with voices and hands. Let them not say they did nothing. We did not enough. Let them say, as they must say something, a kerosene beauty, it burned. Let them say we warmed ourselves by it, read by its light, praised, and it burned.